Welcome to Forcing Function Hour, a conversation series exploring the boundaries of peak performance. Join me, Chris Sparks, as I interview elite performers to reveal principles, systems, and strategies for achieving a competitive edge in business. If you are an executive or investor ready to take yourself to the next level, download my workbook at experimentwithoutlimits.com. For all episodes and show notes, go to forcingfunctionhour.com. I'm very, very excited to introduce my co-host for today, Kay He. Kay is someone who I admire a great deal. He escaped the finance world after 15 years to write and start Rad Reads, a community exploring our relationships with time, work, money, and ourselves. Um, I think many of you in the audience today um, are a great example of how strong the Rad Reads community is, how supportive, how much great content there is on there and you know discovering a life full of fulfillment and purpose and that's really something that we want to talk about today um Kay's uh, latest course supercharge your productivity which i'm a proud member of has been really paying dividends for me so far is it teaches you how to use notion as an interface these are my words not Kay's, to discover and elevate what is truly important in your life and i think that's something that's going to be front and center today is first that discovering what is important to you and then how can you elevate it so that you don't forget so that you're moving it forward. Um, After realizing that he was, in his words, just going through the motions, Kay decided that he was no longer going to try to achieve the dreams that he didn't actually want. Um, And he set out to design a life that was more aligned with his values, which we're gonna talk about today. Now Kay pursues life's larger questions He spends lots of time with his family, and most importantly, he gets to surf in the Pacific Ocean every morning. Uh, Today, we're going to talk about creating systems which nudge us towards pursuing our real goals and how we can appreciate what's most important. And I love this concept of systems is that it takes a lot of the work off of our shoulders. We have these one-time setup costs, and then we're continually nudged to do what we actually want to do. Uh, it's something that makes what we want to do easier to do. And I think Kay is really a master of how you can make these systems approachable and work for you. And, you know, without further ado, um, you know, I'd love to hand things off to Kay. Um, you know, any initial thoughts before we dive in? Well, first, uh, what a joy. I mean, I, I, I couldn't be happier to be uh, wearing my favorite sweatshirt, uh, hanging out with you, Chris, who I, I've, I've long, long uh, admired and respected your work and just the, the depth uh, and, and the precision, but also it's relentlessly pragmatic. So I've learned a ton from you. So it's just been, it's just really awesome to be, uh, you know, to be a guest of yours. And I will say to everyone on uh, in the chat that, Chris's book, Experiment Without Limits, A, it's mind-blowing that it's free. B, uh, I p- got the paper copy, and it sits next to Julia Cameron's The Artist's Way. And uh, it's a little less dog-eared than The Artist's Way, and next to David Allen's GTD. So uh, that, that just shows you how, how, how really I think Chris is, is a genuinely unique thinker. So uh, I'm just, I'm just uh, greatly uh, excited to be here. Thanks. And I'm going to jump in with one more quick promo item, and then I'm going to shut up, I promise. Uh, So today only, we're actually doing a special. So we have a lot of content in the pipeline, and we want to 
most know what is what is most valuable to you guys what, what what should we be writing about and so we have a quick survey that we sent out to our audience and so anyone who completes this 10-minute survey we're actually gonna mail a free copy of experiment without limits um, paperbacks a lot easier to work through you can write in it take notes um, and so if you're interested in these types of topics um, we'd love to hear more about you know how we can most be valuable to you in exchange we'll send you a free copy um, it's okay. I mean, I, I cannot express how, how excited I am to have you here. I think you're the pers perfect person to talk about this topic with. Um, you know, just to kind of give people some background, I would love to kind of put you in that mindset of where you were the moment that you decided to make this life pivot. Um, so maybe if you could kind of take us back to this moment where, you know, you've been in the finance world for 15 years. You're pursuing many of these values that society has told you are right. You know, you're, you're going to get rich. You're going to acquire power and status. You know, you're working for, you know, I think it's the largest fund in the world at this point. And there had, there was, had to be one moment where you just, you know, took the red pill and you noticed like, oh, no, this, this isn't what I wanted at all. Kind of going to put us, put us there in your shoes. Yeah. Um, I, I, I will, can, can I, can I take you like, a, a, can I time travel a little bit? Love it. I want to yeah. time travel back to, uh, Kay as probably like a 13 year old. And so, um, you know, child of immigrants and, uh, a few things you needed to know about me. Uh, the, my, my claim to fame was that I was really, really good at magic, the gathering. Um, so that was one thing you need to know. Uh, when I graduated high school, uh, I went to college. I weighed 135 pounds, so it's very, very, very skinny. Uh, and uh, my the extent of my dating life had been, you know, uh, a few like fortunate rolls of like spin the bottle or like you know 33 minutes in the closet, whatever those games were back then. But uh, really, just like kind of awkward. Like I was the guy that everyone wanted to be. For all the girls were like, "Oh, he's he's just a really nice guy." Um, and so with that came this like deep, deep, and I think my parents lacked the confidence of being like born Americans where they were just kind of like always trying to get into whatever that, whatever that system was. And so I hatched up a system or a plan and I was like, I don't like feeling like an outsider. I don't like the fact that I can't get a date. Uh, and I don't like that my parents like have this kind of insecurity in their daily existence of like not belonging. And so how will I solve that plan? I'm going to be rich and I'm going to be successful. And, and then the world will bend itself to my will. And that was the plan that I set out when I was kind of 16, 17 years old. And, and we could, you know, we could talk about the, the, the things that kind of worked and, and didn't work. But um, so then, I, so, so that was the plan. And that was like, if you take my life from like high school up until I left BlackRock, I, I, you, you could say I executed on that plan, but that was the singular focus. And I'll give you a few little details about why that was, how, how singular that focus was. I didn't read fiction for 10 years because fiction was a quote unquote waste of time. Um, and so instead I just read like white papers that doesn't make for like a fun, interesting person to be around. Um, I guess it worked. So, you know, that, that could be, that could be um, one fun fact. Uh, the, the second was I drank a ton. 
I drank a lot. And, and like, it was, it was kind of like you work your butt off and then you kind of like black out the week for like three days, you know, Friday, Thursday night at Don Hills in New York city. If you guys remember that eighties club, um, you know, so you, you kind of like forget the week that just happened because it was so miserable. Uh, and then you kind of started it again, like sprinting and not reading fiction and all that. So, so there, there was like, that, that was like kind of carrying me through my 20s. And then in my 30s, you know, I met my wife, I had my first child. Um, but, you know, I often get asked the question, like, what was that, that singular moment when you, it was kind of time to, to leave? And there, it was, I would say it's more like, a, you know, like a snowflake, a snowflake drops and then like a, it leads to an avalanche, you know? So there was like a bunch of like things that happened. But I, I very vividly remember um, in one of my year-end reviews, uh, I was probably like two years before I quit. Uh, my boss said to me, he's like, okay, you're doing a great job. You're doing this. You're raising money at this, blah, blah, blah. All these things are great. But you spend too much time mentoring your team. And I was like, what? I spent too much time mentoring my team? And they're like, yeah, you should spend more time on like money-making activities. Uh, and I was like, oh, that's funny that you should say that because – this my team is the most sought after team and like internally people were always trying to poach my my analysts so like you're telling me to do this and then it just hit me i'm like this is a zero sum mindset this is a this is a world where there are winners and there are losers and that if i get a little bit the pie is fixed if i get a little bit more of that pie uh, then that means by definition someone gets a little bit less and that brings out the worst of human instinct. And, mm -hmm. and that I, if I had to think about one specific moment, I'm like, I, that is not the way I see the world. I believe in a rising tide lifts all boats. I believe in pie expanding activities. I believe that we can both win. Um, you know, we, we, uh, and, and, and I just, I want to opt out, um, of that system. And so if, if that's like kind of one very specific part, uh, a specific, um, item. I threw a lot at you. <laughs> a couple of themes that, that really jump out to me. I, I think first this this concept of of blacking out, that if there there feels like a need to almost forget what's happening, that that, that should be kind of a warning sign. Um, but I, th I think the bigger theme is this this idea of delayed gratification. Because I think you probably realize that you weren't completely happy in all of these moments, but that that was expected, right? I imagine the culture that you're in, it very much reinforces that, hey, you're going to work your ass off and you're going to, you know, you're going to reach this carrot. And at that point, like all of this suffering is going to be worth it. And that that seems to be, you know, something that comes across really well in your writing, maybe from this, you know, somewhat traumatic experience that, this notion of putting off getting what you want and putting off doing what you want is, is a bit of a trap. Um, I, I think you, you kind of refer to what is it? The, um, you know, when I, then I, does that, does that when, kind of resonate? The when then trap. Yeah. Right. So in this, in this position, it was like, Oh, well, when I reach financial security, mm -hmm. well then I'll be higher in the ladder and I can push work down rather than mm -hmm. up or I won't need to, you know, be working these 80 hour weeks. Is that, is that something that you see a lot? Well, I think 
the the one then I, I am constantly guilty of it, and I will uh, write you uh, share a list of of times that I have used this this trap uh, on myself. But but I'll, I'll use a very 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 real example right now that that I've been getting from a lot, uh, which has to do with the coronavirus, right? So all of a sudden, no commutes, no Monday morning meetings, no travel, and boom all this time is just delivered upon you and and again i'm not i'm not saying this from the lens of like you have to make every moment of of coronavirus like a productive one but the number of people that that had said if i just had 3 extra hours a day i would meditate for 3 hours i'm like yeah my clients i'm like it's here it is here and and, and and no, and, and so, so that there's always that like, okay, once this, this one thing that's missing that will snap everything into place. Another one that I've seen, uh, and it comes more from men, is uh, well, I, work, uh, I work so hard so, because at a later date then I, I want to spend a lot of time with my kids. Time with kids is here. You can have lunch with them now. You can have dinner with them. You can have coffee with them. They can join your conference call, your Zoom calls. Like your kids are here. Um, and a lot of them have said, like, I actually don't want this much time with my kids. So think, so think about what they're doing. They are justifying, and again, I say they, but I do this all the time. They are justifying working so hard, being on their phones during dinner, traveling relentlessly, not taking care of their health for some future moment where they're just going to magically just jive and vibe with their kids effortlessly. And then it's here. I mean, this is like, that's why coronavirus and in, in, in that regards is like so, um, uh, it just snapped at many things into place. And, and again, I say that for people on, on this call who can do, you know, Zoom calls about living the good life in the middle of a pandemic. Um, but that they, then they realize that thing and like, I didn't really want that thing in the first place. Or I didn't want it the way I thought. And it was just a convenience post hoc rationalization of my unhealthy behavior in that moment. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it's a little, I'm getting a little bit away from, from your question, but that I, I think that, that that reckoning is something that I love to do on myself. I love to do with the Radarates community. I always say, I mean, like, I want you to leave if you, if I, as a writer, I've done a good job as writing is if you leave my post feeling like a little bit unsettled and a little bit provoked. Right. And then I don't want, I don't want you to use that as a way to beat yourself up or to, to start that vicious cycle of self-loathing, but just approach that question with compassion and curiosity. Right. So let's take the dad, uh, and again, it's a dad because most of my clients are men. So I use that. The dad that says like, oh, like I'm working so hard because I want that future time where I can just be, be kind of totally vibing with my kids. And then the moment comes during coronavirus and then you, and you, can't, you don't enjoy it or it doesn't feel like what it thought. What, where do you think your, where was your initial assumption wrong? Right. What what were you doing in that? In like when you were working so hard, what was it? Was it something you were running from? Were you um, competing with your college roommate 
who had a seven figure exit? Um, are you, you know, or is it more existential like uh, Blaise Pascal? All of mankind's problems stem from their inability to spend 15 minutes by themselves. Like, it, it, it is there, you know? And so, again, these are, this is the fun texture of, of being a human, right? That, that, that you have these, like, kind of openings to, to explore them, where I think that uh, in, our, in our culture, uh, you know, specifically Western culture, when those things come, when those feelings arise, we, ha we have a few tools. We, like, self-medicate, right? alcohol, weed, whatever, um, or we distract, um, try, you know, Ironman and CrossFit and, and all that. Uh, or we just believe that work is the answer. More, more success. More success will just make that feeling go away. But we know that that's actually not true, right? We know so many successful people who are miserable, and we know a lot, of, a lot of people who are not traditionally successful who are super happy, right? Mm -hmm. So what can we do to find and to strike that balance, right? Like that, that, that question of like the good life, right? Like how can we strike that balance? Um, and so, so that, that is, um, you know, that's something I would ask everyone on this call, right? That if you notice some sort of incongruence in your life. You say something or you think something, but when it comes time to act, you act differently. Yeah. That is a, that's a gift. And play with that gift uh, and see, kind of see what it reveals about, about, uh, about you, about what's going on in your mind, about what motivates you. That's so good. I, I just want to, you know, underline a few things that you said in there, which I think um, super compressed advice. Thank you. I think really encapsulates this notion of using productivity as a gateway drug for existentialism that, you know, this, this treadmill of self-improvement that all of us have found ourselves on at some point is just a vehicle for discovering, you know, why are we here? Why, why do we do this work? Why does this work matter? And I love what you said about having this sense of curiosity that all of our actions are just signals about what we find important and that generally our behavior is a more accurate indication of what we find important than what we believe because that our beliefs in many ways can be a warm, soothing blanket that justifies what we're already doing. And that, that cognitive dissonance, you're talking about your, your, um, your father who didn't actually want to spend more time with his kids, but that, that thought of, you know, I'm, I'm, working, I'm working so hard and not spending time with my kids by choice was too painful of a thought until he had to confront it because that excuse that was so convenient had been removed. And the key there is to is this sense of curiosity that you can't punish yourself or feeling guilty for wanting certain things. But the most important thing is that this, that the continuous process of discovery and realigning your life in line with those values, whatever they may be. And I, I 
I really key in on this cultural notion of success because I think it leads us to pursue so many things that we want them because other people want them that they're not, we're not actually operating from this inner scorecard of what do we really want. We see other people going after this rabbit and thus we decide that that rabbit is desirable. And that many of the people, as you said, who are happiest, most fulfilled, they don't have biographies written about them. You ever read a biography of a rock star or even someone who's like a, you know, inventor like Einstein or, you know, Musk gets a lot of talk about these days. Like, you respect them, but do you really want to be them? I think Steve that that's it. Yeah, that's, that's the question is yeah. you, you can't, until you know what someone is optimizing for, you can't determine whether they're successful or not. Um, and, you know, I think that kind of brings up the question for me. Obviously, you kind of had this, this, snow, this accumulation of snowflakes that started this cascade where I'm going to try to take steps towards something that's in more alignment. And we have this notion of the good life. Um, you know, what comes up for you? Maybe like today, you know, K twenty twenty. What what is your version of the good life? Mm. That's a good question. I I, um, I would say so. So I think the big um, shift that that is slowly starting to to happen with me in my own kind of way of thinking is a shift away from uh from scarcity from a scarcity mindset into an abundance mindset and so those are kind of like frou-frou terms so let's like actually put some meat uh on what that means so the scarcity mindset is very much like there's just not enough okay there's not enough time there's not enough money. There's not enough opportunity. There's not enough uh, books you can read. Uh, and, and so it's operating from this place of want. Like I need more, right? And so I'll give you an example. Um, we have a nice house. We live a walking distance from the beach. And um, thanks to many of the people on this call, like there was a very, I had a very successful course launch, by, by far the most successful course launch. I turned to my wife and I was like, Hey, do you think we should move? And, but, but I, for, like, I love our house. Like, we would just be getting a new house because we have the, the like, slightly more finances than before. And so, so there is this kind of like, and I see this a lot. And I mean, I think this gets to the heart of like many of the, the, the stories of capitalism and of Western economies. And, and I'm not like anti, I'm not an anti-capitalist, but like there is a point where the marginal utility of the, the value of the next dollar to you is quite low. Um, and really, and that point is going to vary for everybody, but really understanding where that point is for you is, is quite, um, liberating. Right. And, and so, you know, the, so, so scarcity is like, there's never enough money. There's never enough time. And so I always operated from that, right. Never enough time. That's a, that's one. I mean, why are we in the world of productivity? Right squeezing more water out of the stone, right? <laughs> Why do we use Alfred and text expanders? Because, uh, you know, we can eke out, you know, 12 minutes here, seven seconds here. And, you know, and, and again, I'm kind of joking at myself as like someone who prides themselves on not using a mouse, right? So like I play that game as well. But what, it, like, 
what is the, the, the fear of, of more time of having, uh, of not having enough time? I mean, now I'm just going to get super existential uh, on us. And, and if you've read Ratteries, you know where I'm going with this is like, like at the end of a lot of this is we're we, in a secular economy where you are recognized by outward achievement. Um, at the end of the day, like we're all going to be dust. And so uh, can you put that, you know, can you take the Peter Thielian approach and, you know, drink human blood to live to be 200 years old? Like, sure, I'm not, I'm not opting for that path. Um, or can you do, can you fight tooth and nail to um, protect your relevance or to grow your relevance um, so that, you know, your relevance lives on beyond you, right? And I think that that for me was a big, big like internal switch where I kind of like realized, holy shit, everything that I do is like this kind of backdoor way of a, like extending like my time on this earth and b uh, amplifying my relevance. Mm. And it's a fool's game, right? That is a fool's game. And we all know that that's a fool's game, um, but we play it. And so I think, to me, and, and, and I'm sorry, I actually forgot your, the original question. <laughs> doesn't, doesn't matter. <laughs> um, but, uh, but I think that, that a lot of, uh, a lot of, it was freeing to, to not, uh, to, to kind of like opt out of that game. Because you can really, you can see how the slippery slope can quickly extend. Like, oh, if I do the Kona Ironman, then, then I will like be held on a pedestal and like all that, like, it's a damn big sacrifice of your life, especially if you don't love it to train for an Ironman. I mean, that is, that is some intense shit. So you better truly want that. Uh, and so, so again, I think kind of like there, there is this process of kind of like letting go and, and again, just like being motivated, being motivated by this fear of not having enough. And, and again, so what is happiness now? And, and one thing, uh, you know, one thing that I, one statement I often use is like, what is wealth to me? Wealth is not feeling rushed. And when I tell that, there's a lot of entrepreneurs on this call. They immediately call time out. They're like, that's not, you can't do that. That's not a, you're an entrepreneur. You're a solopreneur. You like, you, you, you can't do that. It almost like breaking, a golden, a universal truth about time, right? And, and, and I will say like, um, you know, yes, you can always come up with systems and text expanders and Zapiers to feel less rush, but that's just, you know, treating the symptom versus looking at the root cause. What is the activity that made me feel rushed? Am I a people pleaser? Right? Do I do I uh, over deliver on my commitments because I'm scared of letting people down? Like that's where the that that's where the juicy questions are. Those are what, that's the fat pitch right there. Man, that's deep. I, I it reminds me. I was listening to an interview with uh, Daniel Kahneman, who um, you know, some of you guys might know is kind of the the father of bias and. You know, every interview, people are asking him, you know, how do I be less biased? And I think he was just fed up with the question. And he said that you can't, that no matter how much you know about bias, that we're human. And a lot of these biases serve us, that these beliefs, which can feel irrational, they have ways of protecting us and allow us to move forward in the world. And that all you can hope to do 
is gain an awareness of these sources of bias. And I think that that really kind of comes across in your answer is as much as you pursue these truths, we're still going to fall prey to cultural biases from time to time. And that all we can hope to do is shorten that gap. As you, you put it, kind of this, uh, how do we have it? This, this gap between you know, the perception of scarcity and the realization of abundance um, that we can catch ourselves earlier in the process and, you know, to use a meditation metaphor, bring ourselves back to the posture we want to go about through the world. And uh, I, I love this idea that we have all of these assumptions that live in caves of darkness. He said the entrepreneur who the, the concept of having an abundance of time, of not needing to feel rushed all the time, is, is just a belief that is never questioned and would never even want to question that. But if you have that ability to cast light on these untested assumptions, there's a lot of power in that because it brings a lot more conviction to your daily life that you are living in accordance with these values. And if something comes to me, we were talking right before this call that in a lot of ways, Rad Reads is experiencing an inflection point right now. And that it seems to me that, you know, we're always in danger of falling in this when I, then I trap. I know a huge milestone for you was reaching sustainable profitability with Rad Reads and that, you know, some of the, one of the reasons I admire you the most is that you've been very public in sharing this process and this journey and all of the work that, um, you know, over the last five years that made it possible, which both makes it approachable that, hey, anyone can do this, but also, hey, you know, it takes five years of work. And now that you've reached this milestone, the danger, as you said, is to move that goalpost and put off what you were actually trying to yeah. get at. How do, you, how do you avoid moving that goalpost where you've, you've reached this milestone that you put in place, you didn't know if you would get there, now you're here. How do you, how do you stay committed to the cause? Yeah, well, I, it's, it's funny. Uh, you know, you opened it and you're like, Tiago, who's a mutual friend, like, Tiago had 350 people. And I'm like, I got 51. I'm like, <laughs> fuck, he's like seven times better than me. Um, so... Um, so I I I, um, I would say like it, it's always like the goalposts are always moving and I adore Tiago. We talk all the time, and this this morning I was like thinking I'm like ah oh, like Tiago got a book deal. I got rejected on a book deal. I'm like is is it time to go at it again? But it, again, it like it, it it reminded me that I have to come back to that inner scorecard, right? And and that that inner scorecard. Uh, to me is actually I, I've written it down because uh, I've done this often is I, I have what I, I have what I call a, a success statement which is like what will I know what, like how will I know what success means to me and so one of them is um, never feeling rushed uh, and that is uh, you know that I kind of ebbs and flows uh, in my life uh, I, I definitely am in a moment where uh, where I, I feel more rushed because of like this like great launch of the course uh, and all the amazing questions that all the students ha have been asking. Um, and so that, that's okay. Uh, and, and, but, but really like honing back at, at like a bigger level question is like, 
like, will I continue to take on commitments that exceed my, my ability to service them? And how will I put guardrails on it? And how will I even know if that's happening, right? Um, so, if I, so if I zoom out to, to, to my success statement, it is to be around uh, people who I can give an ener inspiring energy to and who give that energy back to me. Basically, it's a fancy way of saying, like, I have a no asshole policy. And again, people might, might say, like, you're, you're, you just became profitable. How can you, how can you say, like, like, an asshole client is offering to pay you 3x your market rate and you're not profitable? How, like, how are you going to say no to that client? It's like, well, I, I'm going to say no because it's just not worth it to me. It might take me longer to to become profitable, but it gives me, you know, it's a much more sustaining uh, uh, wind in my sails, a sail than, you know, trying to jerry rig some system to just kind of get over the line. So, so if I zoom out to the, to, 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 um, to my success statements, being around uh, inspiring people uh, who I can inspire and who in turn inspire me. Uh, the other is to be able to use my creative gifts every day. And uh, that's kind of uh, deliberately vague, but it, it is creative to be on a call like this and to like tell stories and try to motivate and inspire people and then answer uh, difficult questions. Um, so that's, that is another one. Um, the third is related to the first is the ability to, to have complete schedule, com complete command of my schedule so that I can show up as the father and husband uh, that I want to be, right? I can give them my best attention. And again, that's not, I, 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 these are, many of these are aspirational um, and I'm getting there, but I kind of, you know, I, I step back. Um, and so, and then, uh, and then the last one is the ability to surf every day. And so, so what happens is when I start to, you know, when I go down that path of like, why does Tiago drive 7x more traffic than me? I quickly go back to those points. It's like, hey, when you were outside of that, you know, fight or flight, tribalistic, high heart rate mindset, and, you know, you, you had a cup of tea and you were calm, like you, you actually know very well what's important to you. And whether you have 350 people on a Zoom or 50 people on a Zoom is definitely not one of those things that matters, that gives two shits, that you give two shits about. Uh, and just remember that, right? And then remember why, what, you know, and then again, approach it with compassion and curiosity. Like, why, what, what was it about it that, that, that mattered? Is that, that that quest for relevance? Like, uh, is that, that that nagging, like relevance chasing that you do? Um, and if so, let, let, let's re-examine that. And again, I've, I've got spiritual teachers, I've got coaches, I've got journaling practices where I'll, I'll read about like, what does it actually mean? And by the way, you, I hope that you can see the futility of this exercise where, uh, if you have 350, okay, sure. Like if you had James Clear on, he would have, you know, 2000 people would be here. Right. And if you had Bill Gates on, you'd, you'd have a million people on this call. Um, there, there is literally no end to that game. It never stops. Uh, and so having ways to, again, um, inquire about the, the root cause versus the symptom that you're trying to paper over. Uh, and, and again, kind of, I encourage everyone to really define like, well, what does success mean to me on my own terms when no one's looking? I think that last part is the key when no one is looking because it helps us avoid this comparison culture, which is, 
the the kind of the driver for moving these goalposts and pursuing things that other people are pursuing. And I love that you said that a lot of kind of inherent to this comparison culture is that we look at others are doing and we envy their results, but we don't want to pay the cost that they've paid, that we've made these discrete choices in our lives. I think in both of our cases that we've chosen a life of more balance and alignment and said no to a lot of other things others have chosen to say yes to. And thus, it's not fair to ourselves to want the benefits without paying the costs. And I think that's that's really the key to this what would we say here? This this success statement is the you know what am I what am I willing to say no to in order to get what I want to say yes to? Um, I think you know Dalio puts this as life as one giant buffet where everything at the buffet is great, but you can't eat it at all. You have to give up some things that you want in order to get other things that you want more. And that that's really kind of the driver is what do you want most? What are you willing to give up? Um, and I got, um, I just, I want to add, I just got a, a really kind note from a rad reader the other day, uh, someone who's been following me for a while, uh, who I've never met in person. And he said, he said, you know, I, I've just watched what you built from the sidelines and I'm, and, and I got to tell you, I, I, I am impressed by how you've done it by yourself and like the consistency by which you do it. Um, and, and just like, uh, just like the sheer intensity of the work you've put into it. He's like, but that's not, that's actually not for me. Uh, and what he's like, what I'm really impressed by is that you are very clear about what you want and what you don't want. And I was like, Oh wow. That, and it was just nice to have someone reflect that back to you because I get so caught up in like, and a lot of my posts are about like consistency and this and showing up and, you know, be a fast tortoise and all that. But, you know, behind all of that was like clarity in, in, in your desires or lack thereof, which um, again, I, something I strive to, to, to discover, but I often forget because it, it's not front and center every day. That that reminds me. Um, so when I was in New York a few years ago, I went to an event which was have tea with a monk, and you know, getting past this whole culture gl- cultural glamorization of given we are in an attention economy, we all had these fantasies of going and living on top of the mountain and mm-hmm. meditating all day. And I thought I was going to have tea with this monk, and he was gonna hand off some wisdom from all of his years of meditation and I could just shortcut all of that, that I could kind of, you know, absorb some of his, some of his wisdom that he accumulated. And uh, I asked him the question, you know, what is something that I would find most surprising about the daily life of a monk? And he said the questioning, right? Because from the outside, someone who has made, you know, very clear lifestyle sacrifices, you know, giving up material possessions, spending long periods of time without stimulation, it seems like he is very clear in what he prioritizes in life and has made clear actions to support that. But he says, every day I question whether I'm doing the right thing. But the important thing is that I'm asking those questions. And I I think that's something that I really admire is what feels like struggle if it's reframed as curiosity. There's, There's a lot of meaning there. Those are the questions that matter. Yeah, yeah. The quality of your life is measured by the quality of your questions. That's a quote, unattributed that I've heard before. <laughs> All right. So, I mean, we 
I would love to continue this. Uh, we have some really good questions All right. in the Q&A that I want to make sure we get to. Um, so I'll start with uh, Ramsey's here. Um, do you have advice on how to find what we really want, or do you know how to pinpoint how we can add value to other people's lives? How, how do you instill mm. this process of discovery? Um, you know, Julia Cameron has an exercise, right? And right, and right next to your book, Chris, uh, where she asks you to um, write down uh, some, like if you went into your childhood bedroom, what are some of the things that like make, made you light up as a child? Is it um, baseball cards or skateboarding or space or um, military history, airplanes? And um, what happens is in, in, a, in an achievement-oriented culture, we, we look at those things and immediately it's like, how can I turn this into a business? How can I turn this into a blog post? Uh, and so I think we're actually like, there are clues about this all the time, right? Like you just kind of like look around like, oh, that thing was, that thing was, that was a really uh, cool use of that font, you know? And then our mind immediately goes to like, oh, should I convert it to my blog and like all that? But like, if you just, if you observe these things and there's this, um, the philosopher had this interesting uh, there's this concept in philosophy of like AT-like activities versus T-like activities. And so T-like activities have, a, have an end goal. Uh, so, you know, you, you, you train for a marathon to, to run the race. And like AT-like activities, the, the activity itself is just joyous, right? Listening to, to, to music, you know, making love, uh, going for a beautiful hike, a beach scenery. Like you're not, there's no end goal to that. And I think that, what, what we've done in, a, in an achievement-oriented culture is that we've taken anything that's AT-like and tried to, to convert it into something T-like. I do this all the time. I watch a Pixar movie with my kids where I should just get lost in the story. I'm like, okay, where's the hero's journey? Uh, okay, is, that the, like, is this like the gnome that helps? And like, is this the fairy? And like, can I use this anecdote in a future blog post? Like, I've taken this thing that's just supposed to be just joy in and of itself and try to turn, turn, convert it into something that's achievement oriented. So, so the answer to that first question is to just kind of follow things that you find joyful uh, and that you find light and don't worry about uh, them like leading to something. Um, so, so that would be how I'd answer the first one. Um, and, and as an entrepreneur, I would say that like, if you had taught me, said that, um, um, starting an email newsletter would lead me to like a deep, deep sense of appreciation of design. I would have said, you're crazy. But as I followed that, like, oh, this is beautiful. And like, I love strolling airports and looking at like the giant advertised, the HSBC ads, because they're just like beautiful ads. Like forget the fact that it's a global bank. Um, and so I, as you like, if you just like follow those things, the curiosity, and again, not like, how can I use this? But like, this is beauty. Uh, you, you'd actually be surprised that it can lead you to some very interesting places. Um, and the second part of the question was, uh, how do you uh, add value to other people's lives? Exactly. I mean, I would, I think it's, it's, it's quite simple. It's just, you have to, you have to listen and you have to genuinely care. Right. So like Ram, Ramsey, Ramsey's asked that question and, and I, and I, 
and I know Ramsey's through through the class and through through Twitter, but I also know that like Ramsey's got like uh, a style. We always joke about like sweatshirts and all that. Like so 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 it's just an observation that I've made about about him that I don't know. It's probably not going to lead to anything, but. But there is just this curiosity that's like, oh, like I, I can just tell from his aesthetic that he sees the world in a certain way. And so if I ever saw like a cool article about like Virgil Abloh, who's Kanye's designer, or the off-white guy, there's like a good chance that Ramsey's would be interested in that article. And so I might just send it to him. But again, I'm not like jerry-rigging some elaborate CRM system in Notion to do that. The source is the curiosity and the observation. Um, and so if you just do that over and over and over again, over a lifetime, and yeah, use technology to su supplement it, but not to replace it, then like just like your world will explode with possibility. That's how Radreed started. I just sent a Gmail, like I read these five stories and I thought you would like them. And people are like, when's the next one? Right? I mean, that, that's, that's, that's literally how it started. Um, so, that, so I think it, it, it's there. I think it, it, the, the common answer to, to, to both of those questions is that it's actually just there. And just like, just opening your eyes and paying a little bit of attention more. Is, and, and, and to do that, it's like kind of like removing your own agenda from it, your own bias. Uh, that is like the, the, the gas, the, the, the catalyst. Removing your own agenda, allowing you to see rather than look. And uh, I just want to give a, a big pen flick, fun thumbs up to the technology as supplement, not as replacement. I know that's something that we've talked a lot about. And I think in both of our audiences, there's a danger there of mistaking the means for the end that you know these systems are meant to support what we want to do but they aren't a replacement for it um so love that um aramita i hope hope that was an answer to your question on whether your definition of success is healthy if, if not let me know in the chat um i'm going to go to uh, david cook's question uh Kay, you've defined at least two shifts environment and mindset the environment was moving from investing to entrepreneurship the mindset was moving from scarcity to abundance is a combination of both necessary to find the good life or is it fundamentally a mindset shift as all environments can provide limitations? Uh, David, man, he's, he's always like breaking things down <laughs> in our Slack channel. Um, I would say, um, I actually think that it's quite, it's, it's actually much simpler and, and more complicated in that, yes, I think leaving finance left these kind of cultures of fear and zero sum, you know, like a, a zero sum macho driven environment. So like absolutely that impacts um, the good, the, the, the good life. But I, but I will say that, um, you know, I think that that's almost like the, that's like the, the, the skin layer, like the surface layer. It actually doesn't go much deeper. So for example, um, be, below that surface layer, like am I an investor or am I an entrepreneur? There is something like uh, the inner critic. 
how do you talk to yourself when you screw up, right? And so, so my inner critic, my entire life uh, leading up to leaving and, 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 and thereafter was uh, 90%, I call this, there's probably a bunch of New Yorkers and I call this the MetroCard incident <laughs> where uh, I had the unlimited MetroCard, right? But then you're lazy and you leave it in your pocket and you put on a different pair of pants you go to the turnstile and it's not there. And so we all have good systems. We all have the backup pay-per-use card. Um, so you use your pay-per-use card, but you're like really pissed because you've amortized the cost of a monthly card and you know the break even and you've like, you've stepped one transaction away from the break even. And I would do that like every four weeks or so. And I would beat myself up. Like, I mean, the punishment did not fit the crime. And, and, and it would get to the point like, you're an idiot, like you're so irresponsible, your systems are broken. And then by like the 40th minute, and like, you'll never be a entre good entrepreneur if you can't remember to change your Metro card, right? Uh, and, and, and so, and I say that to David's question because you could change the environment, but that inner critic will always, it, you know, whether you're an entrepreneur, or whether you work in finance, yes, there are more catalysts for it, for it to show up in finance. But the reality is the baseline is that it's 95, negative 5% positive. And so the mindset, and this has taken years, but the mindset is to go, it, it, to go from now it's 95 positive. And it's not like, okay, don't worry, like you're, you're good. The mindset is like, Evaluate what you did wrong and move on. Curiosity and compassion. Versus, and then, and, and that mindset, not having to, I mean, I dealt with that voice for 35 years of my life. I'm convinced that that's the reason why I started losing my hair early was because of that voice. Um, and, and so I think that the, I think that the, a lot of it does really come from, I guess to use David language, I would say mindset trumps uh, a lot of it, but I would, I would go even um, further and say just like, it is kind of these root, these root fears that we all have that we're either trying to paper over or run from. And, and if you want to call that mindset, then I would say mindset is like, that is the 80-20. Yes, leaving finance will definitely help, but it's not going to make you go from 95.5 to 5.95 on the inner critic. Yeah, I, I think if I can echo that a bit, um, I, I do tend to think that our behavior is somewhat determined by our environment. And so that heavy lift of completely transforming our environment will have a really big immediate impact but the compounding effect comes from that mindset, as you said, shifting that ratio of the self-talk or the feedback that we receive. Are the people who are around us supportive Are we, or are we competing over the same pie and others around us are actively rooting for us to fail? Uh, I find that that compounding effect over the long term probably has the biggest effect. And you see that often with people who write the eat, pray, love story. Like you quit the high profile finance job and travel for a year and not give two fucks about anything in the process. Like you talk to most people, that wasn't a great year for them. 
It wasn't. Like it was better than being in finance, but it wasn't what you think. Uh, what you thought? It, it definitely didn't solve any like surf, like below the surface angst that you were feeling. Yeah. If anything, it, um, so quick, quick backstory. I uh, I quit my job um, in New York a few years ago to travel around the world for what ended up being eighteen months, um, and. Everyone from the outside is, hey, you're living the dream. And I was like, well, why does the dream feel so empty? It said it's like a, finally achieving what you thought you always wanted kind of reveals the shallowness of it. And it doesn't, it doesn't solve any of these inner questions that you're asking. If anything, it just brings them to the surface. Um, I'm going to hand it off to, to Stephen Flavel next. Um, Stephen says, I find a lot of the moments in my life where I'm lying to myself and using hypocrisy as a comfort blanket, love that, are moments that I don't have agency to change the behavior of a larger organization or a culture, something like a BlackRock, I imagine, that I have to interact with every day. Um, Kay, do you have any best practices for resolving a point of friction? Like, I don't like working with this company, but it gives me a platform or it gives me money. Um, how, how do you reconcile this inconsistency? Yeah, it's a really good question because I think, lost in all this is like that there is a pragmatism that we all need to apply i mean uh to to our daily lives our financial situations and so on um i would say one helpful step would be very being very clear on the nice to haves and need to haves right so so you could be in a bad work situation and a need to have might be a boss who is ethical, right? Or a boss that's not verbally abusive, right? That, that's, the, that's the red line, right? Um, I will not work for someone who's verbally abusive. Uh, and I'm willing to jeopardize my financial situation to, uh, to not work for someone. Because, you know, you could even argue that, like, my safety is at risk, right? Or my mental health is at risk. Um, so I think uh, oftentimes we just coalesce, like we just throw uh, all of our, our gripes into a, a bucket of gripes. Uh, and again, there, there is, there is an, anal an analysis to be done. So you might work for an, an energy company for Exxon and, and be passionate about sustainability, but you know, that would be a nice to have, to have a job in that, that is, uh, that is aligned with your sustainability worldview, right? That's a nice to have, but the need to have is to have a boss who's not verbally abusive, right? So, so, so you can kind of start to clarify those things and see what, where you're actually willing to draw the line, right? Um, bureaucratic lethargy might be a nice to, or not having bureaucratic lethargy might be a nice to have. Right. And financial security, you know, having a paycheck that's, you know, over X dollars a month is a need to have based on my financial situation. Now, like anything, pressure test these assumptions, right? Where, okay, if, you know, if the, the, the paycheck is like, you know, let's say it's, you know, 100K, just pick a round number. Um, would you trade one summer vacation for, sustainability as a corporate mission being a need to have like is there flexibility between those two that's a trade-off there will be trade-offs there um and so i would say and again only 
the person can answer that themselves. But know that once you've kind of separated them in the nice to have and need to have, uh, that you can also pressure test each assumption, right? Like is 100K the, the number? Because you want to be known as a six-figure person and like being known as a five-figure person is not compelling to you. Okay, that, that's fine. But be clear about that versus like, Again, you know, people, I see this all the time with finance folks who want to go join startups. They, they, the, they, there's an allure to it, but they realize that like the average finance salary compared to the average venture, uh, venture back salary is very, very different. So you need to be willing to see is like, is that gap, A, is it financially possible? But B, um, is there like maneuverability in there because do you, will it elevate some of your nice to haves into, into the need to have camp? I love that. I think just like in any negotiation and the most important negotiation is the one you have with yourself. Um, it's important to decide what you actually need and what are you telling yourself that you need? Because at certain points, those two are going to come into conflict and you're going to have to choose and so it's better to have that litmus test up front so that you don't choose wrongly and negotiate poorly with yourself. Um, and I would also add to, um, sorry to, to barge in, but like bringing your, your, key, your spouse, your partner, your kids into these conversations, right? So if you have a verbal, verbally abusive boss, there's a chance that you take out the aggression that that boss takes out on you onto your loved ones. There is a, there is, there's definitely a price to that. Uh, there's an, I would say there's an economic value to that. But even if there's a non-economic value, it, it is one of the variables that has to be considered. Yep. And, and how some of these prioritization questions, hey, I'm going to prioritize the happiness and health of my family leads downstream to personal choices. Um, I know for me, that's been a big one in a long-term relationship goes from making decisions are what do I want versus what's best for us and how, you know, making one big decision like that kind of percolates down into other decisions becoming apparent where I think as you were saying, Stephen, some of these things kind of feel like tiebreakers, which, which value do I elevate above the other one? And sometimes bringing the other people into the equation who are affected can kind of make that a little bit more clear as far as what are the downstream or second order effects of these choices that you're making. Um, we've got time for, for one more. I would love to answer all of these. I think I'll, I'll hand, it, hand these off to, to Kay afterwards and maybe we can, um, we can see what we can do offline. Um, you know, we've, we've really dived into the existential. I mean, hopefully Kay's shaken you up a little bit and you're, you're kind of going over in your head some choices that are, um, that are pending. Let's, let's, let's bring it down into the pragmatic. Let's kind of end it on an actionable note. Um, so Thomas Najjar asks, once you're clear on what constitutes quality of life for you, what is the first system that you should have in place to support this? Hmm. I think I, it's going to be a tie. Um, but so I'll give two answers. I would say that one is just having good habits, like having good habits to, to, in, to kind of give that uh, way of being the best chance to flourish and thrive and, and, and just 
you know, having good habits is, is, is just a very basic pillar to being content on a daily basis. So I would say, um, I would, I would say habits because it kind of moves everything into the background, right? If you just wake up and you know, you meditate, then you don't have to like create any tasks or or anything. And and you've identified meditation as an important activity. You know, you, you center, you know, you center your day around the things that you know, bring kind of the best life to you. Um, so that would be one. And I think, um, it's actually just watching this video this morning, which, uh, uh, you know, there, there is, uh, it was about the Pareto principle, right? I think the 80, 20 rule, but it was a, it was a different take. It was actually Tiago interviewing the, the guy from great assistant, um, about like uh, hiring executive assistants. And he said, well, it's actually more like an hourglass. So it's like, 10% planning, 80% execution, and 10% review. And I think that we get, uh, and this is, a, you know, I've borrowed this from kind of GTD, but I think that we get so focused with output and like system design that we actually never go back and check if it's working. Uh, and, and review is very, it's very unsexy. Right. Because, you know, you don't get a dopamine rush from reviewing if your system works. You get a dopamine rush from executing on it. You get a dopamine rush from like crafting the thing, but like going back. But the review and so like having some um, having some some kind of deep reflection process, which which can be as simple as like asking yourself the same three questions every week. Right. Did I, you know, did I live my values where, you know, where was I stuck and where did I thrive? Right. Or how can I show up to be, you know, did I show up as the dad and, uh, and husband that I wanted to be? How did I, how didn't I? All right. It's the questions are actually quite straightforward. Um, but the, the, the commitment to doing that and not treating, and, and I struggle from this a lot is that I treat it like a task that needs to be completed. Like, but it really is almost like a great uh, uh, glass of scotch, right? It's really like to be savored and and um, and 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 analyzing the texture of 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 your week, your month, your quarter. Uh, and I think that that a it it takes a lot of discipline to do that regularly. And then once you do it, it takes a lot of discipline to like really probe versus just being like yep did that did that did that did that okay like let me go like do some kettlebell swings like um because of uh, of its non-dopamine producing function uh or or uh or characteristics uh and so so that would be something like having some kind of uh, a review uh and again not a fancy system a few questions that you think are important to, to like to analyze if you're living in a good life or your path towards it uh, and, and then doing it with regularity. And then I would add that they are such a joy to go back to and read with time. Like it is, it is effectively like the, it becomes like the story of your life, like the, the inner, the internal story of your life. Um, and you can see growth, you can see challenge, you can see adversity. Like it, it's, it actually becomes a very special act. I love that there, there's a commitment to be disciplined, but, uh, so at least my definition 
of a system is something that makes it more likely to happen. So it makes it easier, um, reminds you, reduces friction, this type of thing. Um, you know, I love, Kay, your, your concept of a life dashboard, something that you're, you're forced to see regularly that just reminds you of what's important. And you have these blanks that you're having to fill in on a regular basis that are just check-ins with yourself that create these, these time capsules or milestones of where you were in moments in time. And that allows you to discover who you really are is connecting those dots, um, seeing the different decisions that you made at different inflection points and how those turned out, how they made you feel, how satisfied you were with those choices that you made, because we are, after all, the sum of our choices. And so that those systems we put in place First, that, that habit of I'm going to be reviewing regularly. I'm committed to it. I'm going to make that review as easy as possible in order to get out of it what I need in order to define what I do next. Um, but to just enjoy that process, not make it another task to tech check off, another thing to do, but something to be savored, something to just be curious about whatever comes up. And I think that's that's probably been the biggest theme for me, we've been talking about mindset today is how can you engage that sense of curiosity, especially about yourself? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I mean, this has been, it's been a wild ride. This has been, um, you know, a lot of wisdom. Um, you know, thank you so much for showing up today for sharing some, some things that you've learned and some things that we, some lessons that we continue to relearn. Um, you know, it's been such an honor to have you here. Um, you know, any, any final thoughts, anything, you know, you'd love to share with the, the group today before we wrap up? Uh, well, first, thank you. I mean, that there's no better way to, to spend a morning. I'm, you know, like, I'm going to go to the beach after this. Uh, but, but I would, I would say, like, I would just say to everyone, thank you. You know, I, I seeing the names in the panel, like there's, you guys get a lot of rad reads, you get a lot of K. So I mean, Thank, thank you and, and, and sorry for all the email. Um, but uh, I would say it, it's, it's really so much of it, is, it's actually, it's all in you, right? It, it's not in notion. It's not in, uh, you know, that next win. It's not in, you know, Chris's book, although Chris's book has a lot of good questions that, that will like, that will prompt you to ask these. But like so much of it is actually already in you and it is just like um you know it, it, it maybe it, it's a little bit of a corny way to end but like it's like the simon sinek like start with why you know like why do i why do i want to be more productive right and then but the key is to follow up with that question behind like the, the second why and the third level why because like a, the first why is going to be like because i want more free time and then so then the next why is like well why do i want more free time and like, well, with more free time, I could earn more money. Like, why would I, you know, or why I could spend more time with my kids? Why do I want to spend more time with my kids? It's just like asking those questions is actually, um, you know, that is the, per, the, you know, that is the 80-20 rule. And we all have it um, within us, just a few simple whys with like a dose of self, you know, you know curiosity and compassion with like, you know, a, a dose of self-accountability. Um, you know, it, it, 
it, it's just there. And then finding communities um, like the ones that Chris and I have created, finding coaches like Chris and others, uh, those are, you know, those add, um, those add, those add heat to the process. Uh, and so, uh, so, so you, but, but everyone can, can start like right, you know, right now. Let's start. Uh, so, hey guys, thank you so much for joining us for lunch hour. Uh, we do these conversations once a month. So if you're not already on the Forcing Function newsletter, I encourage you to go to theforcingfunction.com to sign up so you can stay in the loop about future lunch hours and other online events like this one with amazing speakers like Kay. And I would highly encourage you if some of the things that we said today provoked you and shook you a little bit to check out Rad Reads. I'm going to link some of my favorite posts that Kay has done that explore some of these questions in the show notes. And maybe that is our assignment to, to sit with ourselves, be curious about what comes up. And the system is whatever allows us to answer those questions. Um, so again, yeah, thank you so much for joining us live or either via the recording. Um, look forward to seeing you on the next lunch hour. And thanks again, Kay, for joining us. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Have an awesome day. Thank you for listening to the Forcing Function Hour. At Forcing Function, we teach performance architecture. We work with a select group of 12 executives and investors to teach them how to multiply their output, perform at their peak, and design a life of freedom and purpose. Make sure to subscribe to Forcing Function Hour for more great episodes, or go to forcingfunctionhour.com to sign up for our newsletter so you can join us live.